0: You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. It's good to be back here. I was away for a little while. Um, last time I was... in New York, I was preparing that Shabbat to go away for for a good uh, four days. I was on a trip with uh, the UJA Federation, the National Federation of America, a group of a hundred young leaders from across the uh, North American continent traveled together to uh, Romania and then to, to Bucharest and then to Budapest. And I'd never been to Bucharest or Budapest. And what was so profound for me was that there had been, of course, 800,000 Jews who lived in Romania before the war and there were 8,000 left. And so the first day in Romania, something that in New York I would, you know, if you, you couldn't pay me to do what we did, we went to a place uh, and there was a woman in the middle with an accordion and they played like old Jewish songs, like, Hava, Nagila, <singing> Hava, Heaven, Shalom, Alechem. And I was weeping. And the trip was like that. The trip was this, a trip to, to touch base with these communities, to the Shearie Sapleta, to those who are remaining there. And we flew to, um, to Budapest, which was only an hour and a half away. And right there in the airport in Budapest, a place that um, that not so long ago was, was the scene of some of the most horrific crimes against humanity that had ever been and ever will be perpetrated, in the middle of the airport, standing on a, on a luggage carousel, I told everybody there to gather around, a hundred people gather around, and we sang. We said, we thank you, source of life, that we are here, here. We made it, we're alive. From the midst of despair, there was a rebirth, a renaissance, a hope. This past week, on Wednesday night, 150 people somehow got together here in New York City on the roof of the JCC of Manhattan to do something crazy. They that came out to eat hot dogs and hamburgers in that time-honored tradition of a barbecue on the 33rd day of the 49 days of counting up to Shavuot. And what's really interesting about that holiday that we celebrated, holiday that isn't very well known outside of the state of Israel or or very orthodox circles, is that it is essentially created by the rabbis in the last 1,000 years. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Talmud. There's a holiday that takes place called Lagba Omer. And the holiday itself is, at least what we know, is that there was some kind of plague that took place. And this Rabbi Akiva, the great rabbi of the, of the Mishnaic period, had some 24,000 students that died. And Lagba Omer becomes the day when death stopped. And so for me, the notion that there's a day when death stopped, that there's a place in a transient, in-between place, like an airport where someone can stand up and say, life has been reborn, the rebirth of life, it very much figures into tomorrow morning's reading of the Torah. The reading tomorrow morning, Parshat emor, that will be read by our bar mitzvah boy, Oliver, is a beginning. It begins with the priest being commanded not to come into contact with death. God says to Aaron, Let no one come in contact with death if you are part of the priestly order, if you are serving in the sanctuary as a priest don't come into contact with death. And the school of Ishbitz, and later, in the Hasidic readings of this particular prohibition, I mentioned it this past week at the community retreat, the understanding of why a priest isn't to come in contact with death is very simple. The priest, when the priest in the rabbinic tradition would stand up and give the blessing, what's called duchning, the priest says... The priest is to serve the community from a place of love, says the Ishbitzer. The priest is the one that is in the myth of Siddhartha the Buddha, right? Siddhartha the Prince Gotama is told not to leave, right? Not allowed to leave, says his father, not to come into contact with sickness and with death, to keep. The Buddha pure, from having to touch death, he's shielded. And so in similar vein, Ischbitzer says, we don't come into contact with death as a priest. We don't come into touch with death. And the deeper meaning of that, said Rav Shlomo Karbach, is that there have to be people in the world that hold on to hope. There have to be people in the world who don't have to confront the complexities and the nuances of life to such a degree that they might actually start believing in the cynicism of, oh, you see how the world works? That's the way the Welt, this is the way the Welt runs. The world works this way. You see, there's always going to be death and there will always be unjust death and there will always be death that is inexplicable and incomprehensible. There will always be systemic racism. There will always be those who hate there will always be. And that voice, says the ishbitzer and then the Shlomo, can be so strong in a community, it can be so strong in a culture, it can be so strong in a person, that pretty soon you're not standing up and screaming from the top of your lungs, life. Pretty soon you're awash in thoughts that are pessimistic, thoughts that are cataclysmic, thoughts that are thoughts of futility and inevitability. It's always going to be this way. You know why? Because it's always been this way. You see, there's a law in life, the law of entropy, and says the Ishbitzer. are no, there have to be a group of people or a place inside me and you that says, no, no, no. Can't touch this. No, no, this is my my holy space. This is where I, this is it. This is my little Kahuna Corner. It's hard, you know. I was on the phone this week with a Kohane, somebody who is literally a priest from the priestly group. He's a dear friend of mine and he's had a hard life. When he was in high school, he had a tragedy, lost one of the members of his family. And his life has been a series of these big ups and these big downs. And now at this point in his life, he called me, he said, I'm at a, what should be a big high in my life. But I can't, I can't find a way out of some particular situation that I'm in. So all of you know friends like this. We know ourselves in these moments. People know that there was a point in my life that I... Spoke about on Yom Kippur five years ago that is on the CD. The, C- the sermon was titled, Let Love Win. A dear friend of mine, Yoni Stadlin, whenever he's at weddings, he goes around running, goes, Love won, love won, everybody, love wins. <laughs> and I told a story about how, in one of the darkest periods of my life, when I was depressed, so depressed that I couldn't get out of my room for a year. I had the good fortune of an amazing friend, my sister Amara, who had a stack of yellow uh, post-its, and every morning when I opened up the door to my room, she had a little something written on there. It would be something like, love's around the corner, the sun is shining, where's that beautiful smile? And she would often, she would know I I love psalms, so she would have to, you know, devash vechalav." You know, she would have all these wonderful little psalms that would be there. And every morning I would emerge from a room of of, of of deep sadness, and there would be a moment of rebirth. And it was those strung together, those moments, 365 post-its on my door that said to me, lo be'amav. There's a part of you, David, she was saying, that's a Kohen, that's a priest. It's not just a historical phenomenon that has to do with, with separating people and holy people versus unholy people and all kinds of hierarchies that many of us abhor, parts of the Bible that we don't relate to, parts that we can't get under, we don't understand them. She said, no, no, you're a Kohen. You want to serve the world in love, and right now you can't maybe you've been touched by that place maybe you're too confused, maybe you can't get up but it were those notes that she posted on my door that I carried with me to Bucharest and carried them onto that carousel in Budapest listening to the stories of an 85 year old man named Ben Sion, Benti, they call him. Who's been now in Bucharest since he—he's never left. Lost his entire family. Sat with us with the biggest smile and said, "There's life happening here again." I can't believe I lived to see the day that Bucharest was beginning to be reborn. And so I'm saying to that guy, if he hears it tonight. Hope springs eternal. You shall overcome. And the key word in that song, everyone, that song that was sung in April so many years ago and became the theme song, the anthem song of a movement that would change the nature of what it was to be here in this country and continue to change The word in that song that is so important is not just overcome, but someday. Right? Right? Someday. Because deep in my heart, I still believe that there's a Kohen, that there's justice, that there's righteousness that can roll like a mighty stream. Someday. That I haven't come into contact with too much of the cynicism, the pervasive quality of it must always be the way that it is, because thus it has always been. We shall overcome someday. And there have to be priests. There have to be priests who are willing to stand up on luggage counters, all of you, and say, there is going to be aliveness. There is going to be rebirth. There will be justice. It doesn't have to be the way that it has been. Amen. That's what we need. And amen is right. Amen. We have to lift our voices up. We have to combat those voices within and without that would have us be contaminated with the poison of inevitability, the poison of inertia, the poison in our personal lives, in our communal lives, in the larger world. So back to that party Wednesday night. There was a heretic... Well, really, he was known as a saint, but he was a heretic. There was a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva who came from a world where inevitability would have kept him from becoming who he became. See, Rabbi Akiva was 40 years old before he even started to be interested in anything remotely Jewish. There story stories told about Rabbi Akiva that until the age of 40, when he would see somebody who was a rabbi, he would say, I'd like to beat him with a jawbone of an ass. He didn't like rabbis. See, Rabbi Akiva started late, but he didn't give up. He didn't believe in what he had been told about who he should be or should not be. Rabbi Akiva had the faith, the trust that he too would overcome someday if it was 20 years, 40 years. And eventually he did. So this past Wednesday night, we celebrated a rebirth in the lineage of the man who didn't believe the press about who he was to become. Right? We celebrated a man, Rabbi Akiva, who birthed students that continued his lineage, who lived to see the perpetuation of the Jewish world we all of us whether we're jewish or not whether we come from a faith tradition that is similar or dissimilar all of us as human beings each and every one of us we must together believe deep in our hearts that things will get better and we must work towards it so please rise with me to sing we shall overcome in honor of guy carowin of priests, Mamlechet Kohanim. We shall overcome